Welcome to Into the Well. I'm your host, Ryan Wilms. I started this show as a place to share my experiences and my journey towards living authentically and mindfully, and also to learn from those who are truly walking the path, healing themselves and inspiring others. By balancing the mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, we can learn to live in harmony with ourselves and our environment. We'll be exploring different tools and modalities used to create sustainable well-being for a fulfilling life. So thank you for joining me. On this episode, I get a chance to sit down with Devin Brooks, a young entrepreneur, coach, mother, founder of Sphere, a way of democratizing coaching online through an app and website platform that she's envisioned and brought to life. We talk about her own journey, overcoming trauma, her relationship with her amazing mother, and how connecting to nature can be a massive force for healing and enjoying life each day. Hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you. Um, well, I just want to start by saying thanks so much for, for taking the time today to come on the podcast. And, um, you know, since we first met through Sphere, I was definitely had you in my mind to chat on the podcast and learn more about your story and your vision for Sphere and your experience. So thank you very much for, for coming on today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Rai. I've been listening to a couple of your podcasts and I think you've taken such a cool approach to this. So I'm honored to hang with you. Uh, thank you. So I think for myself and the listeners, it'd be great to just get a little bit of background in terms of where you grew up, um, what that was like for you, a little bit of uh, a taste of your relationship with your parents and things like that, if you don't mind sharing. <laughs> yeah, let's do it all. <laughs> let's do childhood, parents, yeah. I'm into it. Um, yeah, so I I guess if I dial right back to sort of my most formative years, um, I, I really, the first thing I think of is just the amazing adventures I had with my mom. Uh, she, for the better part of my childhood, was a single mom and her and my biological dad sort of were on and off together. I think I might get this wrong, but I think from the time I was about two to about six, Mm -hmm. two or three to six. And so some of my most earliest memories are just actually like totally one-to-one adventures with my mom. And she had me when she was just about 21. So she was a super young mom by certainly by today's standards. And Mm -hmm. I just felt like her energy was second to none. And when I reflect on those years, I can see her big eighties, wavy blonde, you know, high pony (laughs) (laughs) hair and, and her, bright face and her bright eyes. And we were always in matching moccasins and overalls and her YJ drop top. I can remember her picking me up from school when I was about five. So I guess kindergarten and Mm -hmm. I had wanted a, a goat and we had sort of talked about it flippantly. Like we did not have a farm, (laughs) but (laughs) my mom picked me up from school and I'm walking out of the, the doors and I see, you know, her blonde hair in the wind and the drop top YJ and there's just a like, bah. <laughs> the back oh my God. <laughs> so she picks me up from school with like a tiny pygmy goat. And, um, you know, that's the kind of mom she was. She was super upbeat and energetic and fun. And um, she, at that time, had already... She had already had a ton of like early career experience because she started working and supporting her mom when she was 16. Mm. Um, So she was, you know, she was just like an incredibly outgoing, gregarious, enthusiastic, smart young woman. And I remember thinking and feeling how lucky I was even as a really young kid. And I knew that I was having more fun than other kids. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty nice. It's nice you're aware of that as well, so early. Yeah, well, you can, it's like intrinsic. You can yeah. you can feel it, mm-hmm. and um, and then you know I lucked out. Um, I had got a great stepdad, and um, they both 
around the same time, I believe they were sort of both becoming entrepreneurs and my mom had had a couple of companies in different spaces. Um, and she was just a self-taught entrepreneur. And so watching her and watching my stepdad, uh, I didn't really know any different. And so there was not in my household, this idea of like, you go to school, you excel at one thing, you choose a pathway, you go to post-secondary for that pathway. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you select a sort of linear occupation and then you go full force at at that thing, like doctor, lawyer, Mm -hmm. teacher, whatever. It was, what's interesting? What problems are there to solve? Where is there opportunity? Go do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool to have that example from early age. I definitely relate to that as my parents were were entrepreneurs and the the message was very much like, do what you love and follow, follow that sort of passion as opposed to become a doctor or something. Yeah. And Lord knows we need doctors, but but that was, um, that was just my upbringing. And you know, a lot of people feel when they consider entrepreneurship, like it is this big lofty thing, this really different kind of renegade thing. But in my house, that was the normal thing. Mm -hmm. And to do the opposite was like the weird thing. (laughs) So, So that was really my exposure. And, um, as a young girl, I knew that I wanted to build things and I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. I knew that I was going to start businesses. I didn't know what they were going to be. I had all kinds of visions and I'd sketch them in my sketchbook. And I thought about being a mom. I thought about having lots of kids from a really young age. So those were a few things I had clarity around. And certainly, certainly my sense of community. And I think that 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 is also something that bled through from having a young mom who was a single mom is at that time in her life, you know, she was really, really reliant and, um, and integrated with her friend circle. And so Mm -hmm. I was a big part of, um, her friend's lives and they were a big part of mine. And there was a lot of like big family dinners of all the single moms and their kids and their right. friends. And, and I just remember it being so much fun. So I uh, definitely have extremely fond memories of my formative years. I was born in Vancouver um, and, and kind of grew up primarily on the West Coast, though there was a lot of travel because my, um, my biological dad's side is uh, Spanish, Chinese, Filipino. So um, my grandfather, my biological dad's dad, had lived in Costa Rica his whole life. So I got to go there an obscene amount of times. And, um, you know, I'm still trying to learn Spanish. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, travel was a big part of my my life as a young kid and into my teens. And then at about 15, I... um, I sailed around the world on a tall ship and I went to 30, I believe 36 countries in one year mm-hmm. um, and crewed a tall ship with about 39 other boys and girls um, around the world across wow. the Pacific and Atlantic oceans. Very cool. And were you an only child? I, I definitely had a ton of only child experiences. I was an only child between my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. And then I got a great stepdad and my biological dad partnered up with someone else. And there were two kids in that picture. And there were two um, stepbrothers from my stepdad, um, mm-hmm. Braden and Cam, and one younger, one older. Um, but there was like, there was some years where we overlapped and all lived together in the same house. And there was a lot of like weekends and Wednesdays and that sort of a thing. So I feel like I had a predominantly only child experience, even though I actually had like a few other siblings along, along the way. And now, um, now it's really cool because I feel, I feel more connected to my older brother now that I have Mm -hmm. children than I have my whole life. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's certainly an interesting sort of tapestry of of family and community to grow up in. Yeah, and it, I guess that was my nuclear family. So mm. I don't, I don't really yeah. know anything else. And, of course, yeah. You know, for me, it's just the the idea of family has always been so much broader than you know. This mm. is your birth mom. This is your birth dad. 
and these are the siblings you do or don't have. And these Mm -hmm. are your cousins and your aunts and uncles. Like my sense of family has always included the chosen uncles and chosen aunties and, you know, the the people who feel like brothers and sisters um, or kin, um, but, uh, you know, maybe by other people's standards aren't. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like that's, you know, how it used to be years and years ago. And that's definitely a missing piece of our sort of modern societies in a way is that sort of more of a community family in many ways, unless you really consciously go out of your way to to create that. It's, it's not something that's, uh, as, as normal these days, it doesn't feel like. Yeah. You know, I, I would agree. I think that I'm having a very strange experience here. That is, um, that here in Whistler, where I live, um, Whistler, British Columbia, and I am having a very strange and peculiar and unique and wonderful experience here because I have such a deep and real community. And when I say community, I mean like people who, when shit hits the fan, you know, have your back and who will Mm -hmm. pick your kids up from school if you can't make it without you having to say please and thank you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you get sick, you are bringing each other like your, your best lasagna and, you know, the, all of those things that matter when you're going through, you know, the throes of life, you need, you need to feel like you are shoulder to shoulder and that there is a, there is a shared weight and a shared capacity and a shared love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, that is what I feel in this community. And perhaps it is because it's a mountain town and people who choose to live here, I believe already have a lot in common, even if they don't know it, you know, a love for nature, mm-hmm. Um, an infatuation with the outdoors, a desire mm-hmm. to be um, really active and using your body every day in the wild, that you care generally as a result of that about climate change and sustainability and how we're going right. to take care of this planet. And and also you have to be pretty freaking entrepreneurial and creative because there's probably you know 10% of the people that actually live and work here like work jobs for others here and everybody else is, is self-employed or owns a business that is remote. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that's a good point in terms of that sort of, whether it's conscious or unconscious, having those crossover and values and perspectives and appreciation for nature like that. Um, That sounds awesome. And I feel like that's very much not the case in Los Angeles where I am. I feel like you'd like it up here, right? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I mean, I grew up in, in Victoria and in Vancouver for almost 10 years. And there's certainly <laughs> aspects I really miss, especially right now as it's like 100 degrees and extremely humid. <laughs> That's right. You're an island boy. And I, yeah. <laughs> um, I often forget how many people we have in common. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's, it's very cool how, you know, you grew up traveling a lot. You went on the sailing trip entrepreneurship was totally natural and the norm, this, you know, community family sort of set up. So much of that is like a nurturing foundation that sort of alleviates a lot of the fear that paralyzes people in the world. And that sort of, it seems like allowed you to sort of have the confidence to be an entrepreneur yourself and go out in the world and sail around, you know, on the ship for, for something like that. I wonder, was there a time when something happened in your life that almost made you question that fear or sort of was like a little bit of a, like shook up your world in a sense, like, oh, maybe I can't just do anything I want at any time. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, so many times, <laughs> so many things. Um, there's definitely a few pretty key life-changing uh, moments uh, that I, that I would say I not only experienced, but endured. And, um, definitely they were extremely pivotal and changed, changed my, um, my heart. And, and for a moment they made me fearful and nervous and scared. But in the end, the gift of those traumatic experiences was that my empathy deepened and mm-hmm. my compassion deepened. And 
my resilience expanded and my capacity um, was, you know, beyond anything that I knew or believed about myself. And I kept finding that out every time I would, you know, push past something that I thought was unpassable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So you've become a health coach, but also your mom was a health coach or is a health coach now even. No, actually, um, I was a leadership and life coach and my mom is a leadership and business coach. So not far off, but that really was a, um, that really was a natural, um, evolution for my mom, you know, because she had had a few businesses. One of her businesses was in the conflict resolution space. Mm. Um, and, and another one was in sort of like proactive, um, health management and, and then, um, like lowering injury risk, um, and prevention. And, and, and then we had a business together, um, when I was 21 that we started called Blow Blow Dry Bar, which was, um, wildly, wildly successful and ignited, um, a completely new market category globally. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we just had an absolute time together, um, us and our third partner, Val Litwin, who is an incredible man and talent. Um, and so, you know, for her and I, she had had a number of different experiences all in totally different verticals mm-hmm. as a CEO, an innovator, a founder. Um, although really not until later in life when like being an entrepreneur became cool, did mm-hmm. she identify with those things. It just sort of right. was what she was doing. And, and by virtue of that, um, communication is, she's a master. She is a master. So I really was trained by, you know, the best of the best. Mm-hmm. just by virtue of being raised by her um, and was was really exposed to this vernacular uh, that other kids, I guess, I learned weren't getting. Right. And, and then we started a business together when I was so young. I was responsible for growing and nurturing um, leadership in our franchise partners, working very closely with them, um, growing and nurturing our teams in each new geographical market that we were expanding to and rolling out really our brand and community in that business. And what that meant was I was working tons with people kind of my peer age and also tons with people who'd invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in buying into this beautiful business we'd created. And, mm-hmm. and, and so there was a lot of interesting opportunities to approach those leadership conversations differently. And coaching was a huge resource and part of um, our cultural success at Blow. And so there is no surprise that my mom went on to do um, CEO leadership and business coaching at such a high level mm-hmm. and that, um, that I later you know, followed those footsteps and um, started my own coaching practice when I was about 26 at 27, which was certainly young in terms of experiences, but most mm-hmm. 26 and 27 year olds haven't already started businesses and grown teams and, yeah. um, and worked at, at that level. So I had had really this incredible, um, platform already so yeah. young in my uh, career and journey. So I started that practice and then continued uh, leadership and life coaching for about six years. I had my son, Rosen. He was born in Toronto. And then I had my daughter, Clooney, who um, is four. And uh, just after that, I... I started to see some things that were really, really frustrating me about the coaching space. I, I knew that it worked. I had seen its impact both through my practice, through my mom's practice, the people in our lives who were either coaches or heavily involved in the space of personal and professional growth and self-discovery um, and having conversations that, that everybody needed to have. Mm-hmm. And I saw the, the efficacy of coaching. And now I was starting to see six years into my practice that, you know, incredibly renowned institutes like um, 
Harvard um, or INSEAD or you name it around the world were studying the impact of coaching and had proven that it does increase social and emotional intelligence. So now at this point, coaching had been around long enough that we had studied it and we had seen that it Mm -hmm. is incredibly impactful. And in fact, it is more in this sort of proactive development space versus reactive care space. So if you look at um, psychology or counseling or therapy as being sort of reactive care, treating problems, diagnosing problems, unpacking problems, then there there was this proactive space emerging in coaching mm-hmm. um, in many verticals, business, career, leadership, life, health, well-being, mm-hmm. you name it. And And it was this emerging space as a result of things like um, mindfulness and meditation becoming a part of popular culture and vernacular. And now people wanted conversations that they didn't knew existed. Mm -hmm. So it was, how do I make this possible? How do I surface coaching to the masses how do I take this thing that has been a bit elitist and inc- mm-hmm. you know exclusive and make it inclusive and approachable and accessible um, so that we can support consciousness in, in every individual and in the world? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's so interesting and definitely a, a beautiful vision because it has been really a more exclusive thing. So I think, I guess, you know, following on that, that thread then it led you to launching sphere. Yeah, you got it. Exactly. <laughs> that was that was the the impetus, this this frustration and watching people want this more and not know where to go to get it mm-hmm. and not know who to trust or or what mm-hmm. they needed, but no had this idea that they wanted a different kind of conversation, a different kind of resource and something proactive where they weren't waiting until they had a problem to fix, but instead could bring in a conversational resource um, and and include that in their well-being and growth practices, just like they do yoga or meditation. And lo and behold, it was called this thing coaching. And, and, and so Sphere was born and Sphere has been called a lot of things by our community, um, like Uber for the soul, um, class pass of personal and professional growth. And the premise of Sphere is um, a gym-like membership model that makes coaching extremely accessible and affordable so that you can get connected with the best guides and guidance for where you're at and where you're going. So it's like a membership. You get credits to spend on sessions with your best fit guides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a, I mean, it's a really beautiful platform as well. It, like functionality and everything is really cool. Uh, I do want to just take a step back into your own process a little bit. Um, it sounds like, you know, your relationship with your mom has been inspirational and it's amazing that you've been able to work together and build and grow things together. Most people I find even when their parents are, you know, amazing and do something that they end up loving, there's a period where they sort of reject that in some way. I wonder, did you ever have that with your mom or have you guys always been sort of partners in crime in that sort of way? Well, I can't think of a person in anyone's life that they love who doesn't drive them acting <laughs> crazy sometimes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Look, like I think that the richer and the deeper the relationship the more um the more significant it feels when conversations go sideways or there's mismanaged mm-hmm. expectations or mm-hmm. you're just not vibing and connecting and that would be the thing i think um speaking for my mom for a moment that both my mom and i really feel is is that that when we aren't in a just sort of easeful like regular um cadence of communication Mm -hmm. that it starts to feel a little edgy because it's so important to both of us, probably for different reasons. Um, but it is such a big part of, um, what's important to me. And, and yeah, I definitely recognize that the uniqueness of having worked with a parent in this case, my mom, um, and, and also having had the formative experience of it just being her and I, mm-hmm. you know, a bunch 
for for some really important milestones in in her young adult life and in my most formative years of my childhood. And so I think there was like a very deep um, soul bond between us already. And then I think there was a, a deepening in those formative years. And then I think there was another deepening when we started a business together. And she's a huge part of my life and a huge inspiration and, you know, will always be the best um, guide I know, which is why she's published on Sphere, of course. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's great. I wonder as well in your own journey, like, were you able to have a relationship with your mom where she sort of coached you? It sounds like you you must have learned a lot just from the communication skills she had. But, you know, when was there a point where you're like, okay, maybe I need to go sort of outside of this and find my own coach or guide or therapist or something of that oh sort. yeah, I had all the things right. I've I've had therapists. I've had, um, I've had, you know, teachers in sort of my mindfulness practices, um, and and certainly yoga when I did my RYT, who was a huge inspiration, um, and I definitely have engaged um, other coaches, but she will always be the pinnacle because. Mm-hmm she knows me like no one else knows me so she can challenge me and she has the tools. So that's the big difference is, you know, most, um, in most of our intimate relationships, people can't remove themselves from that unconscious bias and they don't have the training or the tools to give the person they love, um, a, a mirror to reflect that is without bias or without a projecting of one's own uh, view. Mm-hmm. And, and she had that rare ability. And, and still, you know, I, um, I have utilized um, coaches, therapists, um, and teachers of many kinds uh, because that's of critical importance. You know, the, even the name sphere is inspired by a quote by Nikola Tesla. And it's the idea of one's sphere of influence um, being, being infinite and being endless. And that the more, the more we are able to expand that with intent, the more we are able to expand ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like that idea of doing it with intention is, is so crucial to that growth that we seek uh, and increasing that consciousness. Um, And it's such a daily practice as well. But I just want, I was hoping you could comment on sort of, you know, the importance of whether it's a coach or therapist or, or, you know, in your case, having the, the fortune, good fortune to have a, such an amazing mom, but how important to have an outside resource and an exterior mirror to help you because I think a lot of people try to navigate their lives alone and figure it out from within and it's just uh you know it's just so crucial to have that other perspective and and like a clear clean perspective if that makes sense yeah I see two huge trends I see the greatest one being what you said the predominant trend which is people feeling like they have to go at it alone and when I say it, I mean everything mm-hmm. that, you know, to be right, to be successful, to prove to themselves, they, they, they have a shell, they don't reach out for help, they don't provide themselves the resources that are proven to work and they try to go out alone. And guess what? It's not effective and mm-hmm. it's extremely stressful and it hurts productivity and it hurts creativity and it hurts their leadership. And then the second huge trend I see is, um, more of a sliver, but it's definitely um, something that I observe again and again and again. And it's that idea of seeking guidance without intent and from those who are um, not skilled, experienced, or trained in being able to provide um, really impactful guidance. And what happens there is then you fill your already clouded mind with tens and tens or even hundreds of voices of others. Mm -hmm. And it actually takes you further away from your own voice and sense Mm -hmm. of knowing. And that's where that idea of like intent and working with people who are trained and skilled or certified 
in this kind of work is of such critical importance because you can also, if you're not connecting with the right resource, you can cloud your whole system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's an interesting sort of twofold journey from my own experience where I've had to reconnect with myself so I could get clear on who or what else to connect with on my journey. I think like like you said, having that sort of clouded vision can be can be really challenging because it's so easy to overwhelm ourselves and think, oh, maybe this is the thing or that's the thing or this is the book or that's the meditation. But getting reconnected enough with ourselves to be able to to feel that and use our like heart more so as a compass rather than our minds. It will exactly, you know, one of the things we see in in sphere that is um quite interesting, quite intriguing, is that more and more people, because our goal is to democratize coaching. And what that means is that that we are bringing coaching to mostly the people who haven't had it before. Mm-hmm. And, and so one of the intriguing things that we observe is that people who come to Sphere, who are getting coaching for the first time, are are heading into their first sessions after they find their guide and they're using those sessions to distill what's important and what to focus on and how to achieve it. And then to use those sessions to have accountability and filtering and a process week week over week or month over month Mm -hmm. or biweekly that supports their frequency and where they're at. And so there's a lot of people who know how they want to feel, but don't know what to focus on or what's important and what steps to take, what, what steps to take towards that or what to let go of and not to focus on to move towards that feeling. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing this like by and large. And I think that we will continue to see it particularly in that in a post-COVID world where so many of us um, for the first time have been thinking about purpose and impact and community and resilience and realizing that we don't really have the tools we need. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're going to see this sentiment uh, be be, uh, continually predominant. I know how I want to feel, but I don't know what to focus on. Yeah. It feels like this certainly has been a time for many people to start to ask, ask those questions more deeply of, of themselves. You know, what am I really doing with my life? What's important to me? And sort of evaluating their own values in that way is, is, is so crucial to moving forward and being able to know what it is you're fighting for. Um, yeah. What you're living by mm-hmm. and how you're moving into relationships and what you create mm-hmm. and how you show up in the world and challenging your own view of how you show up in the world and in conversations Mm -hmm. and to the table. Yeah. And we can do that obviously ourselves by asking those questions, but sort of tapping back into your own story, I was reading an article online that sort of referenced some, some pretty heavy sounded like uh, sexual trauma that you'd gone through. And obviously you've become a mother. Those are pretty potent uh, events to, Traverse, um, and I'm assuming it seems like you've tackled them with sort of a more opportunistic view of of healing and looking within and and growing through them. Well, thank you. And traverse is a very um, poignant word <laughs> to use for navigating those experiences. Um, yeah, there were there there were a few key ones. Um, I had the experience of sexual trauma at 18. Um, I was raped and a few years later in a totally unrelated incident, um, just after I had started my first business about a month and a half later, um, I was attacked in my own home and um, subsequently I had PTSD and received that diagnosis in my early 20s at about 23, I believe, which is actually the average age of onset of PTSD for women, generally because um, women experience um, more than one traumatic event by that age. And it's usually uh, either the repeat traumatic events that cause um, PTSD or the intensity of any one single traumatic Mm -hmm. event that um, 
can create that environment for PTSD. So I, I was diagnosed with PTSD in my early 20s, and that looked pretty difficult for me. It looked mm-hmm. like huge anxiety, flare-ups. Um, I wasn't anxious on a daily basis, but I, I could um, feel outside of my own body, fully regress into um, the feeling of being raped all over again, and sometimes see the face, see the room, see mm-hmm. all of the things um, that, that were from that moment in time. Um, I was having blackout panic attacks, ending up in hospitals uh, without knowing how I got there. So it was really an acute period of PTSD. And, um, and thereafter, I employed a lot of uh, tools that have become lifelong tools that I just live and die by because I know they work. And um, I know that they help create an environment for me to be my highest self. And certainly um, employing those tools has, I feel, set me up to have the kind of experience in motherhood that I, I, I knew that I could have. Um, and thankfully, it has been many years, many, many years since my last panic attack. So these, these tools, not only reactively like therapy um, or counseling or medication, which were temporary and acute for me, um, I then traversed into proactive tools. And now I, I don't wait until I have problems to utilize tools and resources to support my personal and professional growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned briefly that you use therapy and counseling and I'm just curious, you know, if they're like what that sort of variety of tools and modalities you did sort of lean into to help overcome some of that. Yeah. I mean, different things at different periods. Mm -hmm. Um, when I, when I was in that very, you know, peak time of acute PTSD, I had a brief period of being on, you know, a number of, um, medications to support, me being able to function. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I was ready to move on from that, um, I was actively using things like rapid eye movement, um, sound baths, um, even um, tools that supported um, almost like electronic manipulation of my brain waves. Um, and like a neural um, feedback sort of thing? Exactly. And, um, I also employed therapy during those times. And so those, those were the things that I used. Everybody needs to figure out and and lean on professionals when they're in peak times of need to, um, assess what's right for them. That's what was right for me. And, and then as I moved out of that period of sort of reactivity and reactive care. Um, then I, I really got into my body. I got into my breath. I got back into the tools that my mom had given me as a very young girl. I mean, I think she took me to my first yoga class when I was seven. Um, so I, in a way returned to what worked and, um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't let go of those things, be it, um, yoga, um, hiking, biking, climbing, swimming, mm-hmm. <laughs> breath work, coaching, mm-hmm. um, meditation, um, and even, even taking a meditative approach to everyday practices like brushing my teeth. Mm-hmm. How relaxing of an experience can I allow that to be? How can right. I use my breath in that moment and give myself space and time to just focus exclusively on brushing my teeth? Yeah. And um, those kinds of things have really helped. Rituals around music, um, rituals around dance, celebration has been a thing that's been really sort of uh, odd for me, uncomfortable for me, celebrating, mm-hmm. celebrating anything, milestones, accomplishments, overcoming hard stuff. And um, I recently fell hard and fast in love with mountain biking mm-hmm. and downhill mountain biking. And I'm like the freak at the base of the trails who has 
um, like Solange's like latest track on absolute <laughs> like blast that you're going to blow my speakers. And I'm like in my sports bra with my braids, like swinging my shirt around, just celebrating the feeling of, of joy and endorphins and adrenaline and accomplishing and crushing some new feature or obstacle on the trail. And yeah. it's really, really helping me be in my courage. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I remember mountain biking as a kid and my first health coach took me mountain biking a few years ago. And there's something so, you know, I I feel like it's similar to skiing in a way too, where it's just like all those things where you're pushing your limits, you're in a flow state, you're grinning ear to ear, you're in nature. (laughs) It's like a beautiful, perfect storm of all these things. Some of my friends say when they like mount, mountain bike with me because I I make so much noise. They're like they're never afraid that we're gonna run into a bear when they're on the trail with me because I just Serena the whole trail and I'm making all the most intense tennis noises around That's like great. every <laughs> every yeah. turn. Um, but it is because it feels so good, and I just I want to be like audible about my joy. Yeah, it's funny. Actually, like I went on this hiking or uh, mountain biking trip when I was in high school, probably like grade 10 or 11. And the leaders of it were like, you know, you're like picking good lines and like ripping down the trails, but you you never make a sound. You got to like scream and yell and enjoy it, you know? And I feel like for me, that's been something that's that's been hard to do for as long as I can remember. But I think like you're saying, just embracing the raw emotion of the moment is is so important and actually doing an activity that's fun as well. Yeah. I mean, yes. And it is reminding me to bring that back into other stuff, Mm -hmm. other day-to-day accomplishments or work or with my team and, Mm -hmm. and being visceral and loud when you feel good in a way that inspires and motivates others to express their joy. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, yeah, it, it shows other people it's okay to do that too, right? Yes. Yeah. Like, do a little dance. We have uh, a a little thing that we do. The Sphere Crew when somebody is like in flow, um, or we're on our weekly Friday nooner, which is kind of our like one sacred meeting uh, where we we just like wax poetic on the week and what's important for the week ahead. And we talk about, you know, our hero moments personally or professionally and what things we learned or felt challenged by. Um, but we we take a little page out of the slam poetry and we do like little little snaps. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. you know, we just, you know, that way you don't take someone out of flow, but you're like, yes. Yeah. Yes, go there. More of that. And you're just letting people know that you're feeling their joy. You're feeling that moment with them. Yeah, absolutely. It's very powerful. Something you said before, this idea of sort of a return or a return to sort of the practices that your mom had shown you or a return to even, you know, these, the joy of mountain biking. Um, for, I think a lot of people, that's something they probably haven't experienced since, since being a child. And I feel like in a very real sense, you know, our truest self is with us since birth. And this sort of adventure of being an adult, a lot of that um, work that we're doing is sort of getting back to being that that true self, uh, that pure highest version of ourselves. And I wonder if you find that to be true and sort of what have been some of the things that have helped you sort of return to that. Oh man, right. It's true every minute of every day. This idea of returning to oneself, returning to myself. I I love coaching most because it is a great tool for the unlearning that is required to get mm-hmm. back there and consistently because it's not like it's a one and done job. Mm-hmm. Like things come up in our lives that pull us back out of our highest self, back out of that goodest place. Mm-hmm. And we have to keep returning to it every minute of every day. So yeah, I feel that. I know it. I believe it. It's why we do what we do. And um, and it's it's why on a daily basis, 
you know, I integrate those experiences for myself, whether it's coaching sessions with a guide, whether it's inspiring, juicy, hysterical conversations with friendships about nothing or something, Mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, mountain biking, um, have to do something that gives me endorphins and adrenaline every day. Otherwise I'm just a shitty person. (laughs) And so I'm just a shitty person if I don't do that. And so these are the things that I I hold myself accountable to because when I drop one, then another one drops. And then I drop out of that place of my highest self, of that goodest place. So this is about the great unlearning and that happens Mm -hmm. on a continuum. It's a lifelong thing till I die. Yeah, absolutely. I think something that's become very clear in my journey has been that I've, I'm on this process of relearning how to love. You know, I think we learn how to love conditionally and now it's like, okay, well, I have to relearn how to love in a more healthy way. And, and part of that is letting love in. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And like the unlearning side of that would be mm-hmm. unlearning to, um, wearing that protective armor, unlearning, mm-hmm. you know, fear that's not helpful, unlearning the, the ways in which we, um, we, we prevent real and totally transforming experiences of love, whether that's Mm -hmm. with family members or friends or intimate partners. And that requires being open to failing and getting hurt. Mm -hmm. It requires being so damn open and fully present and grounded in the moment that you just don't mind what the outcome of something is as long as you fully show up and Mm -hmm. land with your two feet on the ground and your heart open. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So on that note, I'm curious to know how you bring that into being a mother and a parent and teaching your children some of these lessons. (laughs) I love being a mom. (laughs) (laughs) I love being a mom. Um, my son came back from a few days of being on Vancouver Island um, with my mom just last night. And, you know, his like shock of blonde hair blowing in the wind when he steps out of the car and he just like bulldozes right up onto me. And he's like 65 pounds now. He's a tank. He's not even six <laughs> and you know, jumps into my arms. And it's the best, most, you know, ecstatic, elating feeling um, that I know. And I, I get so much from the experience of being a parent and a mother. And, you know, I, I look at my daughter Clooney and she's just this totally different type of little, um, personality, this little firecracker. And, you know, when I had my son Rosen, I thought this poor second child, they're never going to be as cool as Rosen. <laughs> and, and then I had Clooney and she was exactly as cool in her own unique, delicious, brave, spunky kind of way. And I, I, I got the perfect kids for me. I definitely believe that sort of Buddhist philosophy that our children are our teachers. And I am constantly reminded of that in moments with them where I feel challenged or triggered that this is, this is what I need right now. I need this kid to be exactly, you know, who they are and, and I need them to show up exactly how they're showing up so that I can show up for myself and for them and to be challenged. Um, I love being a mother. I knew I always, I knew I wanted to be a mom more than I thought I wanted to be in a relationship, frankly. And, um, you know, and yet I have had experiences of, of, um, beautiful and, and deep and enriching love. Um, their dad and I are no longer in a relationship, um, since late last year. And that has been extremely difficult. Um, and yet, another momentous opportunity um, and challenge to to when it feels like you want to be out of love to just be in your love and to mm-hmm. be at, operating and, and acting and thinking and creating and behaving from a place of love and gratitude and kindness and warmth um, and integrity. And that's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. I think like you said, showing up for, for them and, and having those those challenging times where it's maybe harder to do that and 
something I've, you know, experienced as a, as a kid and now see so much in movies and TV is just like how much we don't want somebody else to cry, you know, be a kid or whoever, like, oh, don't cry, don't cry. And how that's really more about making it more convenient for the adult or the person asking the other person not to cry, but to be able to show up and allow that person to express themselves fully is, it seems like maybe the most (laughs) important thing a parent can do. Yeah. And, and not only to show up for them, to support that for them, but the number one way kids are going to learn that is by role modeling, which is Mm -hmm. why parents need coaches. Yeah, (laughs) You know, we need to be working on our shit all the time so that we are role modeling and walking the walk. Cause frankly, it just does not matter what we Mm -hmm. say or do for our children. If they don't experience us every day saying Mm -hmm. and doing it for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're smart, smart little beings. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Has there been any like moments in your journey of being a parent that have like really kind of struck home with, with that lesson itself and been like, okay, I really need to be more sort of aware of this, um, along the way. Yeah. Um, my son, I mean, true to his name, his name is spelled R-O-Z-E-N, Rosen, and he is totally a, um, a heart with arms and legs. He's just like one big fleshy beating heart with blonde hair and arms and legs. And he is the deepest feeler I think that I've ever met and is deeply intuitive and has been um, since before he could talk. Um, I remember one particular moment when he was just over a year old and I was sitting beside uh, with him, somebody that I found pretty difficult, um, not my favorite person to be around. And my son walked over to us without saying a word. He couldn't talk yet. And he looked at me and he looked at her and he grabbed my hand and he grabbed her hand and he clasped them together and made us hold hands and put his hands over our hands. Mm. And I burst into tears, not at the sadness of the moment, but at the joy of, of realizing how tuned in he was and how it was more than I ever could have imagined or more than I even remember about my own childhood, mm. which of course comes back in, in waves. Um, as you have the experience of watching your own children, you remember all of these incredibly deeply intuitive, intrinsically intuitive moments, not like the fabricated social media kind of intuition that we talk about, Mm -hmm. like the deep in your bones intuition that we come out of the womb with, that we get further and further away from and have Mm -hmm. to work our way back to. And so, yeah, in, in that moment, um, I was just gassed. I was totally floored. Like I have this very, very important job. And the most important job I have is to, to do everything I can to support these children being exactly who they're meant to be and not to get in their way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think that, I mean, that's a beautiful story and thanks for sharing. But I think that idea of not getting in their way is, is really like a great goal for parenting. It seems like Um, so you kind of, you've shared a little bit about sort of connecting to yourself and family and community, but it seems like another, um, vital connection to well-being and I'm sure to, you know, enjoyment for your kids growing up is being in nature and then living in a place like Whistler. How important do you find that sort of connection for yourself? And do you feel like that's a, a universal thing that people could really be more connected to? Of course it is. Of course it is. But you don't know what you don't know. So I think that if you've never had the experience of being immersed in nature every day for long enough, um, then then you don't you don't give your body the chance to assimilate back into the rhythm of nature. And once you experience that that reassimilation, you you find that it's undeniable. You find that that it is so obvious when your body, when your heart, when your mind is 
is reacting to a frequency that is man-made, you know, versus nature. And, and so I think you don't know what you don't know if you've never lived in nature, if you've never had the experience of being so deeply um, rooted in nature every day and living and working and going about your normal life, then you, you probably have no idea how, how well you respond to something like this, how humid it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, but when you do know, um, you can never forget. So yeah, it's a huge part of um, what I'm doing, of my values, of the experience I want for myself and for my children, of what I believe is beneficial for all humans um, and what I I just wish everybody could get a taste of. Mm -hmm. How long have you been living in Whistler now? I just, just over four years. Okay. I mean, it's, it's certainly a more vibrant, almost like city of its own now, but was it challenging to to move out of Vancouver and and live in Whistler and be like, okay, is my career gonna is this gonna be okay for my career? You know, I think a lot of people are grappling with that sort of transition to a smaller town, maybe somewhere more rural with a little bit more nature. But it's letting go of an attachment to you know an identity and living in a city that I think is an interesting modern challenge. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, I started Sphere remotely. So our entire team is remote. We meet digitally um, 99.9% of the time and we've done everything we've done digitally. We've, you know, assembled a team remotely. We've, mm-hmm. we've raised money remotely. We've um, created, ideated and built and achieved remotely and proven to ourselves um, that, that it is possible and it is right for what we are doing and what we believe is beneficial for the planet is more remote work and Mm. more remote companies and remote teams, not only because it supports individuals' health and well-being far more immensely, but also because it's better for the planet. Yeah, absolutely. That that Mm. was my big motivation for starting Sphere um, remotely. And I think that COVID and, and this really, really hard year has only exacerbated um, that, that intrigue in people who've not had this experience. And it has proven to the world because mm-hmm. every company went remote yeah. that you can do what you do and do it remotely. There's only just a few types of businesses, let's say that are in manufacturing or have factories um, where there's a, a very essential tactile component that requires um, space and square footage and taking up, you know, base on this planet. Um, and, and I think that um, it's a, a much smaller sliver than we've ever cared to admit. And now we know that it's true. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so with, you know, obviously, like you mentioned, the, this challenging year that we've been living in and COVID and sort of the unknown that comes with that, has that affected your outlook on Sphere moving forward? And are there any sort of plans that you feel like sharing or are excited about? <laughs> um, I, I will tell you that... Um, as a as a women run business or female founded um, technology startup, you know there's already tons of chips stacked against you when it comes to all kinds of things. Um, mm-hmm. Fundraising being one of them, and you know we've been in um, we have we have experienced what that means, and yet we have persevered and grown this incredible team and product into something that we have proven works. That it does the thing that we said we were going to do. And, uh, the future is about, um, getting, getting sphere and coaching in as many hands as we can. And that's what our eyes uh, are on. Our eyes are on that prize for 2021. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what we're really, um, centering our hearts around now is, is the, the deployment plan for, for getting this experience into, as many hands and hearts as we can, because we know that we're doing a good thing. Mm-hmm. We're doing something that is impactful, that makes positive change in the world, that can grow and scale digitally, 
even in a pandemic, even when people stop funding, uh, you know, seed stage companies, even when uh, we have to, you know, limit our discretionary budgets, we can still grow because people need this and people want this. And now we're setting ourselves up to give it to as many people as we can. So the, that is the, the light version of what's mm-hmm. excited me um, and what we're working on and what we're thinking about for the future. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, and are you coaching on Sphere yourself? Well, <laughs> I haven't had a guide profile, um, um, but it, it sounds like um, I might do that in the coming months um, just uh, for, for a couple particular reasons, but I haven't been. It's taken everything I've got to mm-hmm. um, grow and scale guides. You know, this, this work is not about me. This work is about guidance. This work mm-hmm. is about supporting others and both people who want to grow and our guides. So we have a guide ecosystem of, uh, of in and about 200. It, it goes up every day. So I'm sort of starting to lose count. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that has been my work is is calling in and working with guides who we want to back, who we want to get behind, who we want to democratize coaching with. Um, but, but maybe I'll launch a profile in the coming months. Who knows? I'll, you know, right. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll keep an eye out for that. And uh, the website is sphere.guide. And I'll share some links to that in the show notes as well. And for anybody out there wondering, I am one of the guides on the website. So you can find me on there too. Um, we are very lucky and proud to have you, Ray. Yeah, thank you. And I believe you have to get going. So we might have to leave it there for today. That's a good plan. Thank you so much <laughs> for having me. I was so stoked you asked. And it's been just a delight to spend this hour with you. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. And hopefully we'll talk soon. Thanks, Ray. All right. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Whether you listen to it on Spotify, Apple, or through our website, It would be great to hear your feedback and thoughts. If you're able to leave a review, it'll really help us share the message and share the podcast with more people. Thank you.